You're listening to People Talking People with Zappet Hire, and I'm your host, Andrew Reese. This is a podcast about people from leading Australian organizations that do their human resources and hiring differently, from unique interview styles all the way through to COVID response strategies. Now, today's guest is Chelsea Mannix, Chief People Officer at FunLab. FunLab has a variety of venues. They do a lot of bowling. They do a lot of kind of mini putt-putt. And they really value people. They have a 100% human approach in the workplace. They really view their entire team, which is incredibly big, as a family. And they do a lot of things very differently, as you'll hear about the way they do their hiring and even how they treat ex-staff members. So with all that said, let's get into it. I'm really excited for this conversation. Chelsea, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. You know, I, I love what Fun Lab is doing, both what the, you've created from a perspective of just bringing more fun into the world and uh, also some of your HR initiatives. So I'm very excited for this conversation. But before we dig into that, we're very big on personality and people doing what they want to do. So I'm curious, what was your dream job when you were a kid? Can you remember it? Yeah, absolutely. I I wanted to be a journalist. I was really inspired by Jana Vent, who used to be on A Current Affair and 60 Minutes in Australia. And I saw an episode of 60 Minutes um, and she exposed some animal, animal cruelty that was happening in a circus. And I thought, I want to do a job like that. So I finished high school, went to university, did a journalism degree. And here I am 20 odd years later working in HR still. Yeah, wow. What, what Do you see a lot of parallels between, I guess, journalism and what you're currently doing? Uh, I, I, I didn't initially, but as I've spent more time in HR, I guess being curious, which is a similar skill set that you have as a journalist, um, certainly is, is a really helpful skill to have in HR and being curious about people. And interviewing, obviously that helps, and communication, understanding how to convey a message and to get a message to lots of different people. I think that's certainly a skill set that is important when you're working with uh, large groups of people in an organisation. Okay, great. Or, or did you have any in-between phases? I know you used to work for a tour company or do something like that. Yeah, so I while I was... Doing my university degree, I was working at um, a venue in Melbourne at the casino that was very similar to what I'm doing now in that it was all about fun and entertainment. It was the entertainment development group and one of the owners of that is our CEO at Strike. So essentially, I've, as I tell Michael Schreiber, I've been working for him since 1997 when I had my <laughs> casual job. And I got into doing training and recruitment because we went and opened a big venue in New York City. So I went over and did the training and recruitment for that. And then I stayed overseas and worked for a tour company called Top Deck, European Summers. So whenever I'd come back to Australia, Michael had started Strike Bowling, which has since become Fun Lab. And in the off season, we would always seem to open a strike venue. So I kind of just fell into this 
HR world from being the person that did training and recruitment? It's, it's very interesting because I think when a lot of people hear about HR, they would think that that's very different to, you know, going around Europe and, and running tours and that being in Europe might be a lot more fun than working in HR. But it seems to me like a lot of the values of fun and play and adventure and experiences that you might have experienced in Europe are actually kind of embedded deep in the fun lab culture. Yeah, I think you're right. When being on on tour, you would have a busload of, say, 40, 45 people on your bus and you were essentially, um, they were in your care. So if they, um, you know, didn't get enough money out and ran out of money and needed to find an ATM, you would help them with that. You would help them with, you know, um, all, all their needs on the road, where we're going next, planning their itineraries, making sure they um, found their way back to the campsite, on um, those big rowdy nights that um, people have when they go travelling in Europe. And you were really thinking about people's care and, and that's no different to what I'm doing doing now, just looking after people at different stages of their life. And last year in, in during COVID definitely broadened the kind of care that we were that we were having to give to our people. We were right down at the bottom of Maslow's needs and and making sure they had food and shelter and um, you know, could could survive, and that, yeah, I guess that translates from that role I used to do at Top Deck, but also, yeah, just bringing fun. Like work's meant to be something that we spend a great portion of our life doing. So let's make it a, an enjoyable experience, and not something you wake up and not want to have to do. Hundred percent, I, I completely agree. What would you say you you take the most pride in, or you're most proud of in terms of what you've achieved from a fun lab perspective lately? Is it kind of your response to COVID or is it something else entirely? I think COVID just helped us see the kind of business we were for our people. I think giving our people purpose is something that we, we've we done for a long time and I, I don't think we really understood that until last year of having um, a fun part of your life that, yes, it's where you also earn money, but you have a purpose around it's more than just a job. It's about um, uh, creating spaces where people can connect. And we really missed it last year and we noticed the the impact it had on our people to not be able to connect themselves and also to bring fun to other people. So there were there was, yeah, a lot of people struggled last year because of that. And I think we then reflected and went, wow, this you know, we, we are a place that's giving a lot of our people purpose. And for mm. our guests, as we've reopened, you know, we've certainly seen people miss that human connection and just being with other humans. And, and yeah, we, we call ourselves a family, which has its positives and its negatives when you use that term in a workplace. But when you are a family, you look out for each other and you look after each other and having a purpose of belonging to that family is something I think we've you know, we've done really well in our, this is our 20th year of, of operating. Wow. No, that's really beautiful. I love it. And I'm curious how, how do you navigate, you know, being a family, like you say you are with still, you know, when push comes to shove, you're a business. How do you navigate that from a cultural standpoint? Cause that can get quite messy. I'm sure. Absolutely. I remember when when we first uh, wrote our core values as, as a practice that we actually, we'd been operating for about six years without actually writing down our core values. And rather us doing that as a leadership group, we went to all of our venues 
and we said, what are the things that we value most? I think we had about nine venues at the time and then we all got together and and that's how we emerged our values. So it was certainly way too many, um, but we, they've because they've come from within, they're, they're real. And at the end of that, we we landed on using language that, and we were just strike at that point, that strike is family. And our CEO cautioned us as to, you know, the, the downsides of, of, of family and um, how that mm. then translates into being a business. And at the time, naively, we were like, no, 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 we, we truly are family. We'll never let each other down and we can navigate that. Uh, as a business, and it's been really difficult, and we've had two instances in our in our history where we've had to make redundancies, and that's when you really realise yeah. how difficult that is because you're essentially um, asking someone to leave your family, and it's yeah, it's terribly hard to navigate that. But I think if you just a hundred percent human and you're honest, and you can have honest conversations with people, you you're able to do what is essentially one of the hardest things we're asked to do in in HR but you can do it and leave the people with a sense of um, just gratitude for being part of something and understanding that that the role their role can't continue but the part they've played in the family for the time that they were there and keeping connection with people when they leave right for us it's like it's not make someone redundant and then we never speak to them again People who've played an important part in the Fun Lab family will always have, um, you know, a, a place in our family, even if it's not working in the business. So we have a program where if you've been with us for five years, you become a mother funner for life. And our mother funners for life, you know, they have their photo on our photo wall, which is um, quickly running out of space. We've got another 46 people that are going to be added to that <laughs> wall this year. So we need to start making the photos a little bit smaller, I think. But our idea is we, we still stay in contact with those people. And, in fact, for a lot of people in our business, they've they've left, myself included, and, and we come back. We keep coming back because we've created this place where we do feel like you belong. It's like when you leave, you know, you go overseas because your family drive you crazy and then you come back and you still have a place in the family. So it might not be that we work with all of those people still forever, but they still, we still stay in contact and, and keep in contact with with a lot of former mother funners. Wow, I, I love it. I mean, the, there's so many directions we could go off the back of that. Uh, I think the thing that jumps out to me is what you said about the 100% human element. Because at first, when I hear that a business wants to have a family-like culture, there's the assumption of okay, everyone just gets along and loves each other and everything's perfect. But that's not actually the case in families. It's definitely not the case in my family, you know, uh, all the time. But instead, I think what, what characterizes families is that level of trust and, and intimacy and, and that comfort with key things like vulnerability and authenticity where it doesn't feel like something mechanical, but people feel comfortable, I guess, bringing their unique selves to, to work. It's so incredibly important. I absolutely agree. And a lot of our values and, and why family came up for us is is directly linked to that sense of family where we have a value around encouraging our uniqueness and our people can come to work and actually feel like they can be themselves. They've got, you know, purple hair one week, blue hair <laughs> the next week. That's okay. They're being themselves. And if they're if they are being themselves, 
then we're getting we're getting all of them in the workplace. Why would I just want 10% of someone because that's all they can reveal in the workplace? So that's where we do have that um, sense where when you're in your family environment, you can be whoever you want. But yes, uh, sometimes families are can be dysfunctional or are um, a little bit more honest than they would be uh, if they were in a workplace. And, and we definitely have that. So we also have a value around keep it real, honest and unscripted. And we much rather have an honest conversation with someone as opposed to try and pretend something's going well or fine. So yeah, there, I mean, there's difficult things with families as well, and we certainly navigate that. And we've had a, a lot of our people have worked together for a really long time, for, for good or for bad, but it certainly means we all know each other very well and know we know what buttons we can and can't push and try to avoid pushing the ones <laughs> that, that don't work. Yes, and I know you were speaking about the hard conversations. Someone, I forget who said this quote, but he said, when you really appreciate someone, you have to be more invested in their growth than having them like you all the time. And Absolutely. definitely, yeah, that's a key value in, in a family as well. So I could totally see that transferred to say a team leadership context where if you're just feel like you have to make people like you all the time, that's actually not authentic. That's actually not real. And some of the time you're going to have to have the hard conversations. You absolutely will. And it's about understanding that that's part of your role in the family to hold people to account, to have those hard conversations because ultimately, and that's actually part of being 100% human. People always think, you know, you think 100% human sounds really soft and fluffy and HR-y and, you know, that's what some pe some people can do that, but you can't do that when you're having a hard conversation. Actually, when you're ha having a hard conversation with someone, you're being the most human because you're just telling them exactly where things sit and are being honest. And that's a level of honesty we want to give to our people so that they know where they stand. They're really clear on what feedback. They, they understand if they're being held to account and why. And that's being human. It's actually giving someone an opportunity to know really what's happening and not, you know, sort of try and pretend or move around or make make movements so that they don't feel uncomfortable. Just be honest and think of the person and wouldn't you want to know, wouldn't you want to get the feedback? Yes is the answer in our business at least. Let's be 100% human and just have those conversations. And the thing with our business is we – we go through periods of growth and high growth and, and you're having to relook at the structure and maybe not everyone is in the best role, but have those conversations with people and either they want to come along for the journey and, and need to shift their position somewhat or they don't. And that's also okay. You know, many of our people reach their capacity in our business and then go on to really fantastic careers elsewhere. And that is also okay. So having that hundred percent human approach is also it, it embraces honesty and hard conversations because it thinks about the individual. Beautiful. I love it. And so what I'm curious about then, if the given the 100% human approach is so central to your culture, how, how does that look in terms of both it being kind of intangible where that's just what people kind of come to expect, but also tangible in terms of the initiatives and practices you put in place to help amplify that you know, within all the organizations, because you obviously can't be in all your locations every day telling people, hey, be 100% human, yeah. be 100% human. Yeah. 
I guess, and that's always one of the struggles, right, in, in a high-growth environment. How do we keep the heartbeat of a small business, which a lot of us still remember our business to be, as, as we grow, as we're in three countries and we've got, you know, 1,300 mother funners in, across those three countries? How do they know to feel that way? And I think that's a challenge for any, any business that has a lot of um, locations and a remote uh, from from their people and it's just about upskilling leaders knowing that I'm not going to be there and setting some policies so that the conversations they're having do have that 100% human heart and it comes back to for us our, our core values are really foundational in setting our culture and as you know culture is just a it's a series of behaviors and we either recognize and reward the behaviors that we want to continue to see and we speak to people about behaviors we don't want to see and for us to spend our energies looking at the right and wrong behaviors is is instrumental in making sure that if we're not on the front line at least we know the right behaviors will be and that comes through training, that comes through listening, and that comes through re- a lot of communication. And we've learned to do less of that face-to-face due to COVID. Um, we were a business that we really valued face-to-face communication. And last year we had to obviously shift like everyone else did and realise that there is, there can be equal value on having a, a face-to-face conversation in the virtual sense and not having to fly in. Um, to all of those locations to make people feel that. So the behavioural piece um, helps us to have that, to maintain consistency in those, um, being 100% human, the the sort of intangible stuff that when you start, you're like, what does that mean? What does that feel like? It feels like lots of different things that we expect in the business and, you know, having the right policies as well that everyone understands how we approach certain situations and how, how you deal with it. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you know who to call. That's just being having really clear expectations of people when they start and who they can go to for, for different things. But, like, we have a value around fun, right, um, which isn't a surprise seeing we, our name is Fun Lab. <laughs> so we have a value about fun is infectious. Yep. And we know that if you're having a great time, Andrew, that will rub off on the people around you. Fun is infectious, so spread it because no one comes to our venues to have a bad night out. No one gets dragged to, to go and play mini golf or have a drink in our in our bar. So if we keep that in mind, we think, right, we need to hire people that are fun. So how do we do that? So our, our hiring policy is every single hire has to, candidate has to come to an interview in a costume because if you dress up in a costume, you instantly have a bit of fun, right? It can be just, you know, we have people that um, only put a funny hat on or, uh, you know, um, one piece to people who get completely uh, made up into a completely different character. And that allows us to see people's fun side. And we certainly know that it's also a process of self-selection. So we've had people that actually say, well, I don't want to come to the interview if I need to wear a costume. And we say, that's fine because you wouldn't like working at Fun Lab if you don't want to do that. So having, having I guess, uh, processes in place that reflect the values, it sends a message from the start what we mean about fun or that human component. How can we capture that? We capture it through, in this instance, how we recruit and look for new mother funners. 
So if you make that, if you embed some of those procedures and those policies, then the business as you grow still can can stay true to the heart of what we stand for because we're practicing those, we're all practicing those same um, procedures. I love it. When you say the heart of what you stand for, what is the heart of what FunLab stands for? Well, I, you know, our purpose is really for fun's sake. Why do we all? We, why do we do anything that we that we do in our business? We do it for the sake of fun. So our policies need to reflect that. Why? Why do that? Well, for fun's sake. That's that's our our purpose. So we we try to bring it back to that because it's easy to get. Um, caught up and move into you know what Basos calls that day two mindset of bureaucracy and um, getting drowned drowned in um, you know red tape and processes. If we can try and stay focused on day one, which is being for fun's sake about making decisions that are about um, our guests and our people having fun, then that'll keep us true to what we stand for. And we don't shift into that sort of day two mentality of um, getting, you know, you have to go to 12 different people to get sign off to do something. Like we don't, we, you could easily move to that model. Um, so we have to kind of, you know, peg ourselves back and remind ourselves that we don't want to be that business. Yeah. Well, I, I love it. And I completely agree. I think it's so easy to get caught up in logistics and processes and then forget about you know, what you're actually doing, both in a business context and even in our lives, it's so easy to kind of just get into the day-to-day. And then before we know it, you know, a year has passed, two years have passed, three years have passed, and things are still the same, right? Exactly. Let's transition into recruitment then. So I know you mentioned that you make everyone wear costumes to interviews. I absolutely love that. I've never heard of it before. And I'm assuming you also do that with virtual interviews as well when you can't do in person. Yeah, absolutely. So last year in 2020, we obviously had to do all of our recruitment um, virtually. And so we just asked people to, to dress up. And generally, we were just seeing, um, you know, some crazy hats and the kind of costumes that people had at home or could pull together from being at home. Because certainly for Melbourne, people being in lockdown, they had to make do with what they had at home. But you'd be surprised how many people have pretty kitted out costume boxes from what they can <laughs> gather around their house. I used to have a massive uh, costume chest in there my house go. that would get built and built and built and built. But I think we gave that away when I turned 16 or 17. <laughs> but so interesting. So in terms of your overall hiring experiences, what would you say have been some of your best hiring experiences and then some of your worst hiring experiences? Sure. I think um, in terms of best hiring experiences, again, one of our values is around um, developing our people internally and for our, for our business and, and from my experience, hiring someone who starts as a casual in the business who, you know, when we've got a number of people in our leadership team that started this way, who are now general managers of, of some of our brands, who are now head of day-to-day operations. I think for me, that's great recruitment because you're getting someone in from the, from a sort of start of their career who may not even at the time be considering the role that they will be moving into but they learn and um, their journey through the business 
helps them to develop skills that a candidate externally will never have. And a candidate externally will never understand the, the culture as deeply as someone who's grown up in the business. So for me, great hires can be, and I remind our people all the time, when you're hiring for a casual role, you may be hiring the next general manager. You don't know that. So always go in. Every recruitment you do is critical and important. And you should never devalue, I just need to get some people for, for to get us through Christmas, which, you know, is a peak period for us in terms of recruitment because, yeah, we hired an Irish backpacker as a Christmas casual who's now the head of day-to-day operations in our business. So they're the, they're the success stories for me. And then, yeah, I mean, who hasn't had a lot of fails in recruitment? I think sometimes you, the speed, we, we, we try to recruit pretty quickly. We don't like um, roles to sit empty and we also don't want candidates to sit in the market when we could offer them the role. So we've, we've always had a higher, fast kind of mindset. And I'm trying to slow us down a little bit so that we can check our biases and make sure we're not making um, the wrong decisions just because we need someone in the business. So we're trying to slow ourselves down a little bit um, to make sure that we are getting people, we're really clear on what we need in the role because I think that's where you can trip yourself up where you think, yes, yes, we're really clear we want this kind of role. But then when someone starts, we may not have really understood what the business needs. So we've hired, we've mishired because the business needed something else than what we recruited. Or we hired people because we just needed a, a, a bum on a seat and, and they weren't the right person. So trying um, to slow us down while still making sure we don't miss out on candidates. Interesting. And then obviously soft skills are very important, especially given what you were saying about how someone can start off as a casual and then end up, you know, with a much more managerial role. So how do you screen for soft skills during your recruitment process? Yeah, it's it's always challenging. For for us, we try to put the candidate into um, different contexts so we can hear how they've reacted to certain situations in the past as opposed to just, you know, can you do this, yes or no? Of course, in an interview, you're always going to say yes. So setting some sort of behavioural challenges for people where we can get an, an, a real-time example of how they've navigated certain situations, particularly for us around people and how they deal with people, and that tells us a lot about how they may navigate our our culture in terms of what we expect and how we expect people to be to be managed and led and motivated and and kept engaged and often um, you, you can tell in an interview if someone hasn't got a, a people first mindset how they talk about people will be re- a really good indicator of how they're going to treat people when they come into your business so you almost want to find people that love people and enjoy hanging out with people as opposed to just wanting to be by themselves. Absolutely. Uh, and we know our business enough to know we're a very extroverted business. Um, doesn't mean we don't have a lot of introverted managers. We absolutely do. But we know that our people need to be multipliers. So they need to see people and see that they can grow. We we're really strong on growing our own pipelines of people internally. So to do that, you need to hire people that have 
that sort of growth mindset. When they see someone, they're like, oh, I can make that person the next X, Y, Z, as opposed to that person's just a number in my team. And in my team, I need to have this many people to, to achieve what we are going to achieve. We love people that come in and go, wow, I've got so many humans who can go in lots of different directions in the business. And that's exciting. Amazing. All right, Chelsea, well, let's slowly head in the direction of wrapping up. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have one final question for you that we ask everyone. And that is, if you had a billboard, which would be magically shown to everyone that works in HR across Australia, what kind of message would you want to put out there? Wow, there's so many there's so many messages I would like to put out there. How big is You can put out a few if you like then. You can <laughs> well, put out think, a few. Well, I think what I've what I've learned most recently would be, you know, I'm I'm sure if you asked me this each year I'd have a different uh, a different message for the billboard, but for me it would be listen to your people. I think we often try and make decisions and we make assumptions based on how we feel or um, what we might think is going on in our in our organisations. But actually listening to your people will give you the greatest insight of where the business is at and what the business needs. And sometimes the world gets really quick and we move really fast through our jobs and our day-to-days and we don't stop and actually listen to people and if you're listening to people you can truly design an organization that best supports people beautiful i love it well chelsea thanks so much for coming on uh, I, I really appreciate your and fun labs commitment to people and to creating more fun in the world and i know it's not always easy to be a business that upholds values such as yours but i love what you're doing and i'm keen to see what you and the team create in the future thanks andrew I hope you enjoyed today's episode of People Talking People. If you're curious about speeding up your hiring process using the power of text-based recruiting and video screening, or you want to share some thoughts on today's conversation, you can email me at andrew at zapithire.com. That's andrew at z-a-p-i-d-h-i-r-e.com. I'll see you next time.